morning again. Glad to be here with you all this morning. Just wanted to start this morning by talking about a young man that um, maybe many of you probably have heard the story before of the story of a young 14-year-old African boy named African American boy named Emmett Till. Maybe you've heard the story before. Uh, maybe recently the movie came out uh, called Till about his life, about the story of the justice being done. And so Emmett Till was a 14-year-old African-American boy uh, that lived in Chicagoland, and he went down to Mississippi to visit friends and family. Um, and when he was down there, um, he got an altercation in, a, in his store. Um, he was talking to a, a white woman, and he, on the way out the door, and the story goes, is that he whistled at her. And the family and the friends of, the, of that lady were very upset, and they um, captured him. They kidnapped him from the house he was staying at, and they brutally tortured him and murdered him and threw him in a river. And um, it's, it's a sad story. It's a, it's a sad story of injustice that was done to somebody for uh, reasons that were not um, warranted, and a very sad story. And if you watch the movie, it's very excruciating to watch some of the scenes of the mother and her walking through that injustice and looking for justice as she goes down to Mississippi in the court hearing to, to speak about her son and speak about her, the injustice that was done and, and watching how they're, you know, a lot of movies, there's really good endings, right, good resolutions. In this story, there is no real resolution. There was no justice done to the people that did this, these crimes and those things happened. But you know that, many of you may know that the Emmett Till story, the just injustice that was done there was one of the sparks of what happened in the 1960s, which was the Civil Rights Movement. Um, and many things good did come from that situation, but there, in, the, in the movie and in the story, you recognize that there wasn't much resolution there. So today we come to the last of our, our Bible overviews that we've been doing all summer, and, and today we come to the book of Amos. So if you want to have your Bibles open, we're going to be studying in the, in the book of Amos today. But in the book of Amos, what we see there is this is the story, uh, a prophetic word that is being spoken to the people of Israel and the people outside of Israel on the idea of God's justice, how God has a heart for there being justice in this world. And we know we live in a sinful world. We know we live in a world where there are lots of injustices that happen often. But God is desires for us as Christians to look for ways to be able to fight for justice for those that are weak and poor and needy and those that are having injustices done to them. And so this could be a very challenging message this morning because it's something that all of our hearts need to be spoken to, I think. We all have things that we can work on in this area, and so I hope today's message will be helpful to us on those levels. So looking back again, we, we've looked through all kinds of different books in this Bible book overview series, right? We've We've gone through prophetic books of the Old Testament. We've gone through narrative stories, books. We've gone through New Testament gospels and epistles. But one of the things that I think is so important about this series that we've done this summer is that I hope that this has allowed for you and, and motivated you to dig deeper, right? Because even a, a smaller book like Amos this morning that has nine chapters, we are not going to be able to cover every verse. We're not going to be able to talk about every theme and every part that's going in it. But what does this allow you to do? This allows you throughout the week and the, and the months and years ahead to study deeper on these things. As you, I, I, We hope that this gives you a taste of these books and the themes behind it and, and encourages you to dig deeper. And that's our prayer and desire is that you would 
look for a steady diet of, of God's word being part of your life. So we go to Amos today, and Amos is uh, considered one of what we call the 12 minor prophets. So the minor prophets are not called the minor prophets because they're like in less importance to, in the scriptures. Um, they're referred to the minor prophets mostly because of the size of the, of the prophets' writings that are there, right? So we've, we've studied Jeremiah, and there's a lot of chapters, a lot of words in Jeremiah. We did that one. Um, but a lot of the minor prophets are smaller, right? You've got like Jonah and Daniel. Obadiah only has one chapter, so they're smaller. So they're smaller in size than the writing sample that we get. So that's why they're often called uh, the minor prophets. And so today we go to Amos. And Amos, um, not a lot is known about Amos because in other biblical writings or in history and archaeology, there hasn't been a whole lot found about the life of Amos. We do know that his name in Hebrew means load carrier or burden bearer which when we get into today's story, you'll understand why that name really fits what he's writing and what he's saying. And he is speaking, uh, he, he kind of speaks here at the beginning. If you were to read the very first part, it says the word of Amos who was among the shepherds of Tekoa. So we know that he was a shepherd and there's even some evidence as we read this, as we know from history, that he might've been over a, a person that was a leader over many shepherds. Um, but he, that was his role, that was his job. Um, he was an older time prophet during the same time as Hosea. So you could read the book of Hosea, you could read the book of Isaiah, of Isaiah and those are two contemporary writers, uh, contemporary prophets, that he's just a little bit older than Hosea and Isaiah. This is during the King Jeroboam in Israel and Uzziah and Judah in the mid-700s BC is when this happened. Um, so if you were to look at a, a map during this time of Israel, you'd have Judah down in the south and you'd have northern Israel, Israel up here in the north. So he's from Judah. But this is one of the rare prophets that God calls to go from Judah to speak to the kings and the people of Israel. So he's here, but he's going here. Okay, so that's, that's what he's doing. Um, that's what he's being called to do. And so the reason he is being sent there is because the people of Israel are, are acting in lots of injustice. They're, they're exploiting the poor. They're enslaving people. They're putting hefty fines on people. They're doing lots of injustices to the people. And so Amos is being called to speak to the people of Israel and the leadership there. And that's, that's what they are doing this morning. So this morning's message is about God's heart for, God, for justice, that he desires for there to be justice on this earth. And ultimately there will be justice done in the future. So the first part this morning is, is looking at the idea of how Yahweh God, the God of justice, is, is his creator, as the creator of this universe, as the creator of the world, his ethical norms are universal. So if we think of the idea of ethical norms, we're talking about the, the ways that people live, the laws, the rules, the things that are happening. So the things that Amos are writing here are the rules and the ethics are always universal. The things that God teaches in his sovereignty over everything are universal. Not just for our people, not just for Christians, their ethical norms are universal. So if you'd open up, if you haven't already, go to Amos chapter two. That's where we're gonna start looking at the verses, Amos chapter two. So in chapter one, Amos uh, writes to the people of all the different nations, right? So if you were to look back at chapter one, you'd see Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, Edom, and the Ammonites. So he's writing to the people outside of Israel and saying, you are to be judged. You, you have, been, have done injustices, you have ex been exposed, your message is incorrect, and here are the transgressions that you have, and this is the judgment that you will have. So he starts by giving judgment to them. The problem is, 
is that the Israelites took that as, all right, those people finally got what was coming to them. They, they are getting their judgment. They did wrong, so they finally have what come, has come to them. But what, they have, what they're not realizing is, even as the people of God, they are doing the same injustices, and they deserve the same judgment. And so Amos takes his message that he had given to the people outside of Israel, and now he's speaking directly to the people of Israel. So if you'd start with me there in verse 4 of chapter 2. It says, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Judah and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes, but their lies have been led astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the, of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go in the, in the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge, and in the house of their God they drink the wine of those who have been fined. And he goes on there to continue to challenge the people of Israel, the people of Judah, in their transgressions, in their injustice. And you see here, it's like many of the minor prophets. It's very poetically written, right? That you see some like transliteration there. You see some, some continuation that he says for three transgressions. He says that over and over and over again for the Edomites, the Ammonites, Judah, Israel. He says that over and over again. But he's reminding them that there is multiple issues going on. This isn't just like one isolated thing that's happening. There is a lifestyle of injustice that is going on, that is happening. And the truth of the matter is that all of us in this life and all the people that he's writing to and he's talking to here have levels in our heart that we have to work through where we struggle with these things. We all have blind spots, we all need the grace of God, and we all often need rebuke and challenge because we don't always live these justice things outright. Because there are always multiple issues, there's multiple challenges going on in our world. And so we, we often turn our blind eye to things that we often don't uh, look at things the way we should. And that's the same for these people here. And he challenges them deeply. He's very specific, right? He's very specific on what's going on here. He's warning them that if you continue on this path, judgment is coming for the people outside of Israel and the people inside. But he's specifically right now wanting to tell the Israelites, you guys think you're better than everybody. You think, well, only they're going to get judgment. No, you're getting it too. It's coming. And I think it's the same for us in our day too, that sometimes that we want justice just to come down on other people for the things that they're doing outside, the non-Christians, the way they're living and doing things, and we forget that there's things in our own heart that we need to work on, that we need to not judge before we understand what's going on in our own hearts. So one of the things about uh, the, the prophets and the writing is that sometimes we kind of think of the prophets as just like foretelling the future, that they're just telling you, you know, this is what's coming. But often, these prophets are forthtelling, which means that they're telling you, these are the things that have happened in the past, these are the things that are happening now, and the judgment may come. So there's some foretelling going on, but a lot of forthtelling um, is happening, especially here with Amos. So some of the specific things that he's mentioning here are the idea of the way that the poor are being treated, how the people that are needy and are poor are being exploited because of that, and being enslaved and treated very poorly and, and being pushed down and not giving an opportunity 
to recover from some of the poverty that they live in. There's harsh fines. There's even talk of pretty specific sexual sin that's going on. And then also the idea of not fulfilling vows that have been made, especially with those that are poor and needy. So we need to, we need to understand here this morning that Amos isn't just like putting this very broad picture out there. No, he's being very specific and saying, these are the things that you're doing that are unjust, and you need to root those things out. You need to work on those things or judgment is coming. There's no mincing of words here that judgment will come if they continue in these things. And we know in history that they did continue to do these things and judgment did come. It says very clearly um, in, this, in this judgment, very, very clearly, that, that they would be trampled down like an animal by a loaded cart in the street. That, that's not like very nice, you know, just nice, kind words, right? He's saying, if you continue in this injustice, if you continue to live like this, there will be judgment. Not even the very strongest people, the, the richest people, the, the most mighty people will be able to outrun the judgment of the Lord. Nobody will be able to outrun that. All will be exposed for their wrongdoings and their injustices. I think one of the things this morning that we need to be aware of is sometimes we can get a little um, imbalanced in the way that we respond to reading a minor prophet and the judgment and the the, the call to against injustice and those things. It would be important for us to how, how do we respond as Christians to reading something that was written all those thousands of years ago and maybe not really written directly to our audience. How do we respond to this? I think it's important to avoid um, reading this and trying to read everything in our culture right into this passage. I think it can be uh, harmful to say, well, well, that speaks to this and that speaks to that because it is written to a different people at a different time and, and different injustices happening. So I think it'd be not helpful to, to read everything in our culture right into this and say, well, that speaks to that and that speaks to this because one of the way, things that happen when we do that, right, is that we start to have that attitude of they deserve the judgment, I don't. I don't have any of that in my, I don't have injustices in my heart and my life but all those people do, and they deserve the judgment. That often is how we will get if we try to read it like that. But I also think it's important, too, that we don't just ignore it. We don't ignore the challenges and the things that are being said here, right? We, we want to read them and understand them and see how they can speak to our life and our time period. One of the things that I have learned a lot and what I've loved a lot about our younger generation as I've worked with teenagers, as I've worked with students in ministry, is that there's, there, a lot of our younger people have a real strong heart for fighting for justice and fighting for, for things to change and be better and, and flourish, human flourishing and those type of things. And I think us middle-aged and older generation need, need to listen to the heart of the people as they, as they say these things. But I think younger generation, you could also learn from the middle and older generation to how to temper those things in a way that, that brings glory to God, that we're, we're keeping that gospel message as center as we're doing those things, and so we can learn from each other, and I think that's important to do that. I think we also need to be uh, not afraid to call out sin specifically. Do it with love and respect. Always looking for repentance and patience as we, as we guide people towards restoration. But we need to call it out when we see it. Because we know, we live in a world right now where there's still lots of heinous sin and injustice going on. It's not like Amos is in some specific time and we don't deal with that anymore. It's still all over the place. We need to be reminded today that there are people that have, have been enslaved, have been exploited, have, are, are living in, in, in deep poverty and, and struggle 
boys, little boys and girls living in slavery all over the world, being sell, sold and bought. And it seems like those people that are doing these things are thriving and they're living good and their, their life is great. But I want you to know this morning that even when those things are happening, God is watching. He loves his image bearers. His wrath is kindled about that deep sinful injustice as we see in this passage for those things that are being done to people. Even if the, the, the judgment on those people, even if the justice does not happen in this life, we know that that will happen, that justice will be restored, that things will be restored the way that they should be. Even if it doesn't happen in this life, we know that those people will be judged in the next life or they'll be covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. Everybody has the ability to be able to repent and come back and be restored and their, their sins be covered. Let me tell you a specific story in modern history to illustrate our role as Christians in justice. Uh, maybe some of you have heard the story of Rachel Hollander. She is the um, young lady that was, was um, part of the case for Larry Nasser, who was the, the man that was, was um, sexually harassing women that were gymnasts, USA gymnasts and other things like that. Um, and Larry did this to many girls, but Rachel was one of the first ones to come forward. And she, in the court hearing, gave one of the more, most impactful Christian speeches I've ever heard when it comes to the idea of justice. She clearly spoke in that speech about the wrong that was done to her, the injustice that was done to her. She was clear, she was open, she was precise on everything that was done to her because there still can be justice done even if the person forgives, but the just, there still can be consequences of your sin. But in the end of that speech, you see the deep forgiveness in her heart for the injustice, even though the injustice was done to her, she had a relationship with Jesus and she offered that forgiveness and offered the opportunity for Larry to hear that, that she forgave him, that she trusted that the Lord could change Larry's heart. And it, it was such a powerful testimony to the fact that she wasn't hiding the fact that what was done to her, she's not pressing, putting that aside or anything, she knows the injustice was done to her but she offered what we all need to offer people in any situation, which is the, the love and forgiveness of the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Amos, one of the main themes is, is that if we're true Christians, we are going to fight and live out justice in our lives. That, that is what we want to do. We repent when we do not do so, and we call other people to justice when that needs to be so as well. One of the ways we do that on this side of the cross is offering that to those that are hurting deeply, that need justice or that have done injustices that need forgiveness, that we bring that lasting justice, the internal justice that only the Lord Jesus Christ can offer us. So it said, like I said before, in, in chapter one, he writes this, this judgment down on, and calls judgment down on Damascus and Gaza the Ammonites, the people that are outside of Israel. He calls judgment down on them. He says, this is normal behavior, but this is, this is the judgment that you're going to have. Because you have not been just, because you have exploited the weak, the poor, the needy, because you have done sexual sin, because you've done all these things of injustice, here is your judgment. And one of the things that I often say 
and tell people is that non-Christians are going to non-Christian. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't push back and we don't fight against the things they're doing, but it's, it's going to be more common for non-Christians to do things that are unjust, right? Because they are non-Christians. They don't have Christ living, they don't have the Holy Spirit guiding them. They don't have the Bible directing them as authority. They don't do those things. And so non-Christians are often going to non-Christian. That's, that's the expectation. That's who they are. That's normal behavior for the pagan nations. Again, that doesn't mean we don't call them out and, and push them and, and share with them about what they're doing is sinful and wrong. I think of, of the cry of Saul, the psalmist in, in Psalm 82. He said, God has taken his place in the divine council. In the midst of the gods, he holds judgment. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Give justice to the weak and the fatherless maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Rescue the weak and the needy. Deliver them from the hand of the wicked. That is what we call the, pe- the non-Christians of this world to do. We call them to no longer exploit and unjustly judge things. We call the people that are non-Christians to rescue the weak and the needy, deliver them from the hand of the wicked. And we call them to do that through what? Through the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we call them to do that. And that's what we should do. Flip with me to Amos chapter 4. I'm going to look at the, the distinction that, that the Israelites are called to. Because, right, that's what we are to do as Christians. People in the world should see the Christians as being the most just people there are. They, the world should see us as fighting for justice in the ways that we are able to do so. So it says in verse 6 of chapter 4, I have gave you cleanliness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places. Yet you do not return to me, declares the Lord. I also withheld the rain from you when they were yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain on one city and said no rain on another city. One field would have rain, the field, other field would not have rain and would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I struck you with blight and mildew, your mighty gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees, your olive trees, the locusts devoured. Yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I set among you pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young man with the sword and carried away your horses, and I made the stench of your camp go up in your nostrils, yet you did not return to me. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms the mountain and creates the wind and declares to man what is, is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, a God of hosts, is his name." So you see here that even with the judgment that's already been given to the people of Israel, you'd see that list of all those things that God was doing already. And yet these people still continued in their injustice. They continued to still live in their sin. They still continue to live like the pagan nations. They're doing the same thing. They're no better than them. And of all people to to see that judgment, the the. The people in chapter 1 that are outside of Israel, they might not get it. They might continue to still do that. But the people of Israel, they get this judgment. They get these warnings from Amos. They should be turning around immediately and stop doing this. But the sad thing is, is they don't. They continue to live in justice. They continue to do those things. God was strong through Amos to warn them 
of the, the, the injustice that they were living in. But they continued to do it. They, they lacked any reasoning, any truth to be able to do what they needed to do, the right thing of turning from their sin, repenting, and, and doing the right thing again. But one of the major ways that we as Christians can show that we have true faith is the way that we treat others, the way that we speak about others, the way we think about others, the way we act towards others. And so I don't know where you are in your heart today, where, where there might be some struggle that you have with certain types of people or certain individual people, things that are going on in your life, but one of the ways that we can really truly show our faith is our love for other people, including those that we disagree with, those that are non-Christians, they know us by our love, by the way that we love each other and the way that we love them. It is a challenge to us to be a distinctive and caring for those that are less fortunate because it, it takes sacrifice, it takes us often out of our comfort zones, but God calls us to do that. Do you put up that quote slide there, Jake? So this is a quote from Tim Keller. It said, this is the generosity of God, the freeness of his salvation that lays the foundation for the society of justice for all. We really do care about the flourishing of this world. We should. Even in the seemingly, uh, yeah, even in the seemingly boring rules and regulations of tabernacle rituals, we see that God cares about the poor, that his laws make provision for the disadvantaged. God's concern for justice permeated every part of Israel's life, it should also permeate our lives. That is, the, that is the challenge to us this morning. That is the reminder to us that we need to care about justice. It says in the scriptures all over the place that we are to reflect the heart of God. And part of reflecting the heart of God is about the business of doing justice and caring for those that are poor and needy. Sometimes many that have had very deep injustices done to them. Isaiah 1, 16 and 17 says, Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's case. That is a strong challenge and a good reminder to us this morning of what we are called to do in having the heart of God, living out that justice in our lives. Now, one of the things that I think is important for us to discuss this morning is that we often wonder, how can I help in this, these areas of injustice? And the truth of the matter is, we can't help in every area. We don't have enough lifespan or ability or gifts and abilities to be able to do everything. But we should strive to help where we can, where God gives us the ability to lead and 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 to serve and to help and to shepherd people's hearts and, and to love people, where is it today that you may have been running away from that? Because we are all called to be a part of being in God's heart of justice. We are all to help that. And also, when I talk about justice, one of the other things that we kind of miss, the, the world kind of misconstrues with that word, is that justice is not the same thing as vengeance. Because often when the world uses the word justice, I haven't even heard it on a commercial this week when they were talking about something and they used the word justice and what they meant was vengeance. Is that it's, it's getting back at somebody, right? I, I did something and somebody's gonna do this back to me, or I, somebody did this to me, I'm gonna do it back to them. It's this back and forth tit tat like vengeance. That's not what we're talking about. Justice in God's way is different. 
It's loving, it's graceful, it's forgiving, it's working towards restoration. That, and, and seeing that there are consequences, right? Of course, justice does bring consequences at times, and often it should. But it's not the idea of vengeance that our world speaks of. And God is all about the justice in all corners of the earth. Not just in America, he's about justice everywhere. He's also been about justice in different time periods. Yes, it might look different to us than what we've read in Amos. Might not be exactly the same things, might be some similar things, but in different time periods and in different seasons of life. Justice is deserved for everybody from the time they are conceived to the time that they die. Everybody deserves that justice. We take a very eternal perspective as Christians, right? It should be desirable for us to, to see a, a world around us that is flourishing, that people are, have justice and they're living freely and being able to do those things. We, we should desire that for our world. It doesn't guarantee that that's gonna happen in our world all the time, and we know that, and the Lord uses some of that pain and suffering to grow us, but we do want that and desire that. William Wilberforce says, and sir, when we think of eternity and the future consequences of all human conduct, what is there in this life that should make any man contradict the dictates of his conscience, the principles of his justice, the laws of his religion, and of God? There shouldn't be anything more desirable for a Christian than for human flourishing and for justice to happen, even on this earth or in the time to come. So the question might be asked this morning, who is this justice deserved? Who deserves it? Who is it meant for? Who, 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 de- who deserves to have this? Can you put that picture up, please? So here's a picture of, of something that I think will help us think through this. So you see here, um, the picture on the left is a picture of, of children that have been rescued from slavery out of India. Um, the one on the right is the Empower Life Center here in town, or not in town, but here in, in the area in Peoria. Um, they serve children and, and work towards um, have, helping mothers to keep children and also to um, help families. And then on the, the bottom left, right, or the bottom left there, you see the homeless person. And then I put the picture up of foster care, which I, you know, Alicia and I are very much a part of. And, and so I want you to see in that picture, those pictures, that there are faces, right? Individual people and faces that go with the idea of justice. It's not just, it's not just a, a broad idea or or just you know, a broad people that we're thinking about. We're thinking about individuals that have faced injustice, that have gone through struggle in their life that we need to think about. Because the answer to the question is, to, of who, does, who is justice meant for? The first answer to that question is everyone. Everyone deserves to have justice. Everybody deserves to not have to live through uh, the deep injustices of this world. All people Every person is an image bearer of God, regardless of color of skin, male or female, what country they live in, what background they have. Every person is an image bearer of God, and we need to treat everybody like that. And so Amos 5, if you, if you move your Bibles over to Amos 5, kind of helps us think about what the people of Israel and Judah were called to. So follow along in verse 1 of chapter 5. Hear this word when I take you up your lamentation, O house of Israel. Fallen no more to rise as the virgin Israel, forsaken on her land with none to raise her up. 
For thus says the Lord God, the city that went out a thousand shall have a hundred left, and that which had a hundred shall have ten left to the house of Israel. For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, seek me and live, but not seek Bethel, do not enter Gilgal or cross over to Beersheba. For Gilgal shall surely go into exile, and Bethel shall come to nothing. Seek the Lord and live, lest he break out the fire in the house of Joseph and devour with none to quench it from Bethel. Moving over to verse 10. It says, They hate him who reproves in the gate, and they abhor him who speaks the truth. Therefore, because you, you trample on the poor and you exact taxes gain from him, if you have built your houses from stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall drink their wine. For I know how many are your transgressions, how great are your sins. You who afflict the righteous, you who take a bribe and turn aside the needy in the gate. Therefore, he who is prudent will, not, will keep silent in such a time, for it is an evil time. Seek good and not evil, that you may live. And so the Lord, the God of hosts, will be with you as if you said, hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. It may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. So you see there, it's a sample size of what he is calling them to. At first, he's lamenting, right? He's lamenting that he doesn't want to see this judgment come on the people of Israel and Judah. He does not want to see that happening because they are the people of God, but they continue to be stubborn, to live this out, to continue the injustices. So because of that lack of repentance, there will be judgment. As a disobedient child, discipline comes, right? Same with the people of Israel. Repentance can bring restoring hope and, and thriving, but if they keep on this path, discipline will come. But what does he call them to do? Seek me and live. Seek the Lord and live. That is what they are called to do, and that is what we are called to do. Because if we are seeking the Lord, and we are doing it often, and we are in a deep relationship with him, we are going to have his heart. And what is his heart about what is Amos speaking of? Is the idea of justice. He's called us not to vengeance. He's called us not to continue in our own heart issues of sinful issues of injustice, but to seek him and live. It says there, right at the end of the section I just read, he challenges them to hate evil and love good, because that is the heart of God, is to hate evil and to love God, establish justice in the gate. That means that the entirety of the human culture is right there. The, the gate was the centerpiece, the entrance to that place. So he's saying, establish that justice in your community. Make it a part of life. Make it who you are. And so that's what I hope that for us as individual Christians, as us as a church, that we will strive to live that way, that we will live for justice. And now I know that not all of us and as church, even collectively, that we are gonna have the ability to, to, to work for all justice, but there are things that we can do. There are things that we can strive to do. But that means that we must seek the Lord and live. That means we must seek him first. We must live for him. We must know his heart. We must regularly be meeting with him by the study of his word and prayer and meeting as a church and a community so we know how to seek his face and know what it is that he wants us to do. It says uh, in verse 18 of chapter 5, it mentions the idea, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light, as a man fled, fled from a lion. The people of Israel were looking 
for the day of the Lord to come. But what he tells them is, you shouldn't be excited about the day of the Lord coming because it's not just coming for those outside people, it's coming for you. And the day of the Lord is when the reckoning will happen where all things will made, be made right and God will just, justly judge everyone for what they've done and not done. So he's telling them, you want the day of the Lord to come, but you don't want it to come because it, it's going to bring judgment to you. And then at the end there in verse 24, it says, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. I can hear, like, in, in the, during the times of slavery and during the times of the civil rights movement, there was the old Negro spiritual song about letting the Jordan River roll. Let, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like ever-flowing stream. They were, during those time periods, were striving for that justice, no longer being enslaved and treated as if they were animals and not real people. But that's the heart of God, that justice would roll like waters and righteousness like ever-flowing stream. You see two images there, right? That the justice is rolling down like a river. It's flowing, it's continuing. And then it, it says in righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, it's the constant, continual righteousness just flowing down like a river, never stopping, never drying up. And that should be our heart. That should be our life. That should be what we desire to do. God-fearers are led to let justice roll down like a river. It's, it's a never-ending work of the Lord and the never-ending work for Christians that we strive to live for justice in this world. So what... How should we respond this morning to what we've been challenged by from Amos? I think of, of, of Amos's words in Amos chapter 7. He says in verse 2, O Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relent in considering this, it shall not be. Verse 5, he says at the end of verse 5, O Lord God, please cease. At the end of verse 8, behold, I'm setting a plumb line in the midst of my people. He, he's answering, Amos is saying, please, Lord, please don't bring this judgment on your people. Please allow us to stop these things and to relent your judgment on us. That is the type of humble heart that we must come at when we are dealing with these own struggles of injustice in our own hearts. So I don't, I don't know this morning where you are feeling in your heart where you need to work more for justice where there might actually be some seeds of, of injustice in your own heart when it comes to racism or homelessness in your community, um, running away from a calling to foster and adopt children, turning a blind eye to the forms of slavery that are going around the world all the time, fighting for life from conception to the grave. What is it that you this morning are challenged or being led that you need to work to root injustice out of your own heart? or work for justice in the world around you. Justice is the center of the gospel message, right? The greatest injustice that has been done in the history of the world is what? Jesus, the perfect God-man, had done nothing deserving, laid his life down on the cross for the ones that deserve the judgment, the ones that deserve the justice, but he laid his life down. Amos, the book of Amos, is ultimately a cry out for the justice 
that this world can only temporarily offer us, and even us as Christians can only offer temporarily answers. There seems to be a lack of resolution as you come to the end of Amos, as he talks about the judgment and the restoration that, that may come. There seems to be this kind of tension and uncertainty of what's coming, and that is because Amos is pointing to the ultimate restoration and the ultimate justice that is to come. So whatever injustice that has been done to you in your life, whatever you've been through and struggled with and you feel like you deserve vengeance or some kind of justice, even if it doesn't come in this life, commit your life to understanding that Christ is our hope in this life or the next. And if you've committed injustices or you have some of that stuff in your heart, remember that you have somebody you can go back to. That you have been covered by the blood of the Savior of Jesus. And be reminded that there is hope for the future. That there is a day when all of this injustice is going to go away. In the heavenly kingdom, in the new heavens, in the new earth, those things will come. I finished this morning by telling a story of my friends who are living out justice in a way that is unique and not really, not a lot of people know about. So some of you may have seen the picture of a few weeks ago when I was on my trip to Georgia and Tennessee where I got to visit with my friends from seminary. They're, they're the leopards. And my friend Jeff and Kat Leopard, they um, have a baby that, they have a child that has trisomy 18, which is in the family of Down syndrome. Um, but it's a very rare form that very many children don't even come out of, the, are able, alive out of the womb with this. And um, Jeff and Kat were told by the very four first doctors that they had that they should abort Adeline because she wasn't going to be viable, she wasn't worth it. But Jeff and Kat had a different plan, and they were led by the Lord, and they believed that they needed to, to have Adeline be born and come into this earth. And so they found a Christian doctor that was willing to go through with the birthing, and Adeline was born. Now, they've been through so many struggles. They've had so many doctors not help them, not advocate for them. But Jeff and Kat have advocated for Adeline, and I tell you that there is not one, there's not much better witness that I've seen from those two in the way that they've fought for her, for her life, because she is viable. She's an image bearer of God. That, that is justice, to advocate for a child that everybody else thinks is not viable and give that child life to, to allow that child. And she's so fun. I, I held her. She, she's like three and a half years old, but she's is, is the size of about a one-year-old, one-and-a-half-year-old. She's very small. But she, she's laughing. She's, she has life. They're trying to get her to use her eyes to speak with her eyes, like through the, this new technology that they have. And they're advocating for her, and, and her story is starting to get out, and there's such a strong witness behind that. That that's, might seem like a little unique when it, when it comes to the topic of justice, but I, I really believe that they are justly trying to advocate for her life as a witness to God and how he believes that all life is viable, all life is image-bearing of God, and we need to treat all as such as that. That is the type of justice and life, life that we need to live as Christians. We have the heart of God. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, so let us live with that type of justice that Amos is calling the people of Israel to and we are called to this morning. We are called to live out justice in a way that brings glory to God and is a witness to the world around us. Let us pray. Lord, I thank you so much for the opportunity uh, to 
gather together this morning to study your word, to, to think on a hard topic of, of injustice and justice in the world around us. Lord, I, I don't know where each of us is in our hearts, uh, where we're struggling with this, where it's, where it's difficult to think through how we can live this out in a way that brings glory to you. But Lord, we know that there are things in our hearts that are unjust, and we have thoughts in our minds sometimes and, and desires to do certain things. And Lord, I pray that you root all that out, that you will help the gospel speak to our lives and in a, in a way that um, allows us to root injustice out. And Lord, also give us a heart desiring to, in a unique ways and special ways that we can speak into this world to look for human flourishing, to, to look for justice to be done, and help us to do it in a way where the gospel is present in the conversation and guiding our conversation in the way we live and act and the choices we make. Lord, I, I'm so thankful uh, to be a part of a church that, is, that desires to want to know your word and even sometimes be challenged by your word. And so, Lord, I pray that you will take the things that we learned today and help us to be challenged and encouraged by them. And, Lord, thank you for this uh, prophetic book of Amos that was written uh, in specific ways to help us. But, you, Lord, you, we know you it, wrote it to those people, but we know that we can learn from it and grow from it. So help us to do that this morning. Lord, help us to have your heart to look for justice to look for human flourishing, to, to love people in a way that is a strong witness to you. Thank you, Lord, for your, the opportunity to gather together around your word. And now as we sing songs of response, Lord, I pray we do it in a way that brings glory to you. We pray this in your great and gracious name. Amen.